So the reading today is taken from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures and we ask that you would send your spirit to soften our hearts and to increase our capacity to receive from you. Help me as I preach to preach faithfully and we ask that you would be pleased to lift up Jesus among us. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm a terrible backseat driver. When Nikki and I first got uh, married, we bought our first car. Uh, but the problem was, I was still learning to drive, and she hadn't driven a car for over eight years. And our first journey in that car is now burned into my memory, because we pulled up to a set of traffic lights at a large crossroads. And uh, when the lights turned green, uh, Nikki stalled the car. Uh, no problem, we thought. Let's just try again. But the car stalled again. And by this point, the traffic was starting to build up behind us. And I was trying to stay calm. We stalled again and again and again. And by this point, the cars are really starting to lose it. And they're honking their horns at us. And there's a sort of palpable sense of panic building up inside the car. And so I realized my moment had come as a backseat driver. My inner backseat driver piped up and I heard myself saying, we just need to drive forwards. <laughs> That's all we need to do. We need to drive forwards. To which Nikki very graciously turned and looked at me and said, Matt, that is not helpful. Backseat drivers can be really annoying. And I think that is partly because backseat drivers give advice, but they don't actually do anything to help with the problem. We all know how unhelpful it can be when someone is eager to give us advice, but doesn't actually get their hands dirty to help us. So you're depressed and someone comes along and just says, oh, well, cheer up, you'll be fine. Or you're struggling with an addiction and someone just says, well, why don't you try harder? Or you've gone through a trauma and someone says, how can you still not be over this? 
And what I've found is it's much easier to give advice than it is to make a difference. And what I want to say this evening is that Jesus Christ didn't sort of stand on the clouds dispatching good advice. No, Jesus rolled up his sleeves, stepped off his throne, and entered this world in order to make a real difference. And especially to make a difference for those it mentions in verse 18, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. That's the glory of Advent and the incarnation, isn't it? And that's why the title for today's message is When the Spirit Anoints with Power. Because when the Spirit anoints with power, one of the things we can expect to see is overflowing generosity to the poor. And when God pours out his Spirit, he moves us from a backseat spirituality, as it were, to concrete action that makes a tangible difference for the poor. And generosity to the poor, I think, is actually part of what it means to live well um, in testing times. That's our preaching series at the moment, how to live well in testing times. And generosity to the poor is part of that. And this is something that we can't afford to miss. So Timothy Keller, for example, puts it like this. When the world sees us doing evangelism, <laughs> does someone sat nav going? <laughs> I won't say who. Um, when the world sees us doing evangelism, this is a quote from Tim Keller, when the world sees us doing evangelism, they just see us recruiting. It's just perceived as an accrual of power. However, when we pour ourselves out for the poor, that gets the world's notice. So it matters that we get this, not just because God has a very special place in his heart um, for the poor and downtrodden. It matters if we want our sharing of the gospel to be taken seriously by a modern secular culture in which faith is so often perceived as not just irrelevant, but perhaps even harmful and dangerous. It's only if the world sees us laying down our lives for the poor that the world will know that we're not just a nice religious club but a church with the very heart of Jesus. Because a church anointed with power will always be sacrificially generous to the poor. And really, I've got three kind of points I want to talk to you about. Firstly, I want to say that generosity is an overflow of the gospel. Second, that generosity is an expression of justice. And third, that generosity is about advocacy. An overflow of the gospel, an expression of justice and advocacy. So firstly, an overflow of the gospel. When I introduce myself to someone, particularly in church, I will typically say, hello, I'm Matt. Um, I'm associate vicar here. Um, I might say I'm married to Nikki. I might say I'm from the north or whatever. Why? Because these things are by and large who I am in public. And when God introduces himself in the Bible, it says things like this, The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. Psalm 146. Or it says this in Deuteronomy chapter 10. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food 
and clothing. When God reveals himself, so often he reveals himself as a God who is especially concerned for these vulnerable groups. A God who identifies, not with those in power like the other gods of of that day, but a God of the vulnerable groups. And in our reading this evening, Jesus unrolls the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He sits down and he says, I am the one who has been sent to bring good news to the poor. Now, when Jesus says that, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 61 and uh, the images of something called the year of Jubilee. And now this was an astonishing time in the Jewish calendar that only came around once every 50 years. So this is very rare. And when the year of Jubilee came round, um, God commanded that all debt should be cancelled, all slaves should be set free, and all property should be returned to its original owners. So can you imagine the sort of celebration and joy that this kind of once-in-a-lifetime event would unleash. It was essentially a massive year of social justice. And what's amazing is, of all of the passages Jesus could have chosen as his sort of ministry manifesto, Jesus chose this passage, this image of Jubilee, uh, essentially to say, I am here to bring in, as it were, a better eternal year of Jubilee through my life and through my death and through my resurrection. It's like he's saying, I'm here to be the means by which your infinite debt to God, your sin, is totally wiped out. I'm here to be the means by which you are set free from shame and enjoy my favor forever. But, and here's what I want to focus on this evening, he's also saying, I'm the same God who identifies with the poor the oppressed, and the downtrodden. I'm the one who is going to ensure that the poor really do hear and experience the good news. And so the beneficiaries of Jesus' jubilee year are crystal clear, aren't they? It's not the powerful, it's not those with right connections or family upbringing. It's the poor, the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. They are the people we can expect to see benefiting from Jesus' generosity. And Jesus will achieve all of this, as as many of us will know, by going on to make himself poor. When Jesus' family went to the temple when he was a child to make their sacrifices, um, it says that they gave two pigeons. Now, that was the sacrifice reserved for the very, very poorest who couldn't afford anything. And Jesus Christ made himself poor, But more than that, Jesus also identified himself with the oppressed and mistreated. Jesus knew what it was to be whipped, to suffer not only for us, but also with us. Identifying himself with us and dying under an unjust regime on the cross and in our place. And based on that, He calls us to be good news for the poor, to be generous to the poor as an overflow and an outworking of the gospel. And that leads into my second point, that generosity is an expression of justice as well. It's worth saying at this point that I think the Bible's understanding of generosity is so much richer than what we often get in the West today. In the West, we tend to think about generosity 
Um, well, I might consider giving my money or my time or whatever it is away, but that's my choice and my right. But I'm not obligated to give to the poor. However, in the Hebrew scriptures, refusing to be generous to the poor is not simply stinginess, it's injustice. And the Hebrew word uh, for it is sedaka, and there is no English translation for that word because it quite literally fuses together two words in English, generosity and justice. In Hebrew, they go together. In Hebrew understanding, generosity and justice go together. And in our reading, Jesus presents himself as the embodiment of tzedakah, of generous justice. That's what the year of Jubilee was about, as a way of saying everything we have is loaned to us by God, our gifts, when and when, where we were born, our achievements, our opportunities, our money. They're all a gift from God, and therefore, to not be generous with these things is not simply just to be stingy. According to the, the Old Testament scriptures, it's to be unjust. And when we consider that we are loved unconditionally, that we are saved totally by God's grace and not by anything we've done, to be generous then, to to not be generous, beg your pardon, shows that we haven't fully understood just how indebted to God's grace we really are. Because when we've been changed by God's grace, we won't look down on the poor and feel superior. We'll look at the poor and say, they're exactly the same as me. And knowing that drives us to make a difference for them. And that leads into my final point that generosity is about advocacy. In Jesus' teaching and in the whole Bible, generosity is not just sort of about throwing money and resources at a problem. Uh, we're asked for a much deeper level of heart engagement with the poor. So in verse 10 of Isaiah 58, for example, it says this, if you will spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, then your light will rise in the darkness. Jesus Christ himself was close to the poor and the vulnerable. They liked to hang out with him. And so this is about so much more than money. It involves asking the Lord to give you a, a spiritual burden, I suppose, for the poor and the hurting of this world. And as I was preparing this talk, I thought, and this might be wrong, but I felt like there could be someone who feels a specific burden for a specific group of people. And you've been wondering, you know, should I give up my job to help these people full time? And maybe tonight the Lord could be saying to you, have the conversations and take that forward. Explore how you can take this forward. And if that is you, do come and speak to us. We'd love to pray for you. It might be a burden for those who are trafficked. It might be a burden for those who are in prison or the homeless. But for all of us, it is worth asking, who has God given me a burden for? Because generosity is not just about money, it's about advocacy as well. So in Proverbs chapter 31, it says this, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And you might say, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, in Acts chapter 6, it says that the needs of the poor were so overwhelming 
that the apostles actually had to choose seven godly leaders to oversee practical ministry to the poor. And so in what way is God calling you and I, I wonder, to advocate for the poor and for those who cannot speak for themselves? So Nikki, for example, I I speak of Nikki because I spend most time with her, but I know there will be others of you as well who have similar stories. Nikki has a real passion for helping women in prison and uh, has helped on the chaplaincy team in prisons. And I will never forget one time um, when I asked her about her day in the prison and she just welled up and said to me, uh, do you remember this? She said, these women are treasure." They are precious to God. That is what I think of when I think of this a spiritual burden. What might that look like for you? I heard recently about a high-flying uh, corporate lawyer on a six-figure salary who felt called by God to give all of that up and to set up a charity which specifically brings uh, predatory loan sharks to justice. And that was incredibly costly and painful to do, but it was a spiritual burden that drove them to do it. But it doesn't have to look as dramatic as that. For me, it looked like going for lunch once a week with someone I'll call Simon. He had a lot of poverty and pain and complex problems in his past. And God had just laid it on my heart to befriend him. And even though it was incredibly demanding, I always came away from those interactions, feeling that God had done something significant in me, helping me to keep a soft heart before him. Or I think of my dad, who left the church he was attending in middle-class suburbia to join a church on a council estate in Bolton. And he said this to me recently, God is doing miracles here. He's setting people free. And for the first time in a long time, church is exciting to me again. And so asking God to make you an advocate for the poor and downtrodden, for him to give you a spiritual burden might feel risky and scary, but actually it's such an exciting way to live because these are the people on the very heart of Jesus. These are the people he has a particular burden for. And so let's take a moment of silence now to ask the Lord to Help us and to anoint us afresh to bring good news to the poor and to ask him who he's giving you a burden for. Let's do that for a minute and then I'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your stunning generosity to us. And we do ask that you would fill us with your compassion for the poor and the downtrodden. Help us to speak up for what is right, to be courageous and to take our stand against injustice. And thank you that you don't hold out good advice from a distance, but that you come to offer costly, blood-bought grace to each and every one of us this evening.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.